that's why we worship you for such an amazing love and kindness shown to us. And on top of that now, we would ask for another kindness. We'd ask that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit, that you would show us the way to live in response to such amazing love. So again, give us ears to hear right now and eyes to see our lives and what it means to follow, follow your son, in whose name we do pray. Amen. The Reuters News Service tells the story a couple years back of an Oklahoma man who was desperate to save his marriage by pretending to be a hero to his wife. Um, Tim Spencer was 27 years old. He's from Edmond, um, Oklahoma. And what he did, as best I can gather by the sketchy details that are reported, is he was a high school teacher, and he was, his marriage was on the rocks. And so what he did is he hired two high school students, paid them 100 bucks each, to come in and break into his home and steal his TV set and tie up his wife, at which time he would come busting on the scene, beat them up, drive them from his home, and rescue his wife. And, and this was all very carefully choreographed to the point where he had a board that he had sawed uh, partway in half that he would hit them with and it would break. And so he actually did it. They broke in. They tied up his wife. They were carrying out his team. He comes on. He beats them up. He drives them off. The only thing they didn't count on was his wife got loose and called the police. So that when the police showed up um, and eventually uncovered the plot through their detective work, he ended up going to jail in the, in the custody on suspicion of staging the crime. There are many questions a story like that raises. Here's the one that I want you to think about this morning. Who are you trying so desperately to impress? Who are you trying so desperately to impress? Day in and day out, whose opinion matters most to you? Why do you do what you do? I think those are the kinds of questions that Jesus is pressing us with in the midst of his most extraordinary sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses. We're going to look at those today, but again... Here's the backdrop. This is the question that Jesus is going to impress us with. Who are you so desperately trying to impress? Whose opinion matters most for you? So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And it starts this way. Be careful, Jesus says. Some of your Bibles say, uh, beware. Not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, if you do, you will have none, zilch, zero reward from your Father 
in heaven. I like the expression, beware. I think it's, it reflects the strength of what Jesus is saying to us. Beware of this. You know, the wisest man who ever walked the earth, the one whose love for you was so great that he would die for you, is warning you here about something he desperately does not want you to fall into. Jesus says, beware. Essentially, he's saying, don't do your spiritual life, don't do church stuff to be seen by folk. Don't let that be your motive. Um, This is one of those times where the message paraphrase of the Bible is really vivid. Let me read it to you. Actually, I think I've got it on the screen. It says, be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Like I said, it's a paraphrase, but it gets the point across. I mean, did it ever occur to you that this, what you are doing right now, could be nothing more than a colossal waste of time? Now, I need to clarify that. Um, not because of me, okay? Not because of what I'm doing, but because of what you're doing. Because of why you're doing what you're doing. Because of why you're here. Because you're here for the wrong person. Now let's be clear about what Jesus is saying is the core, the, the core of the problem. It's not that you do righteous deeds. That's really not Jesus' concern here, that that people are praying or giving to the needy or fasting. Those are the three things that he's primarily talking about. That's not the problem. It's not that you are seen doing these things. That's not the core of the problem. But the problem is you are doing these things to be seen. Specifically, to be seen by someone by, by men to impress someone. So, you know, it's, Jesus is not saying here, and we'll talk more about this, it's not wrong to pray publicly um, or to make a donation and sign the check with your name on it. Um, the problem comes with wanting to be seen, wanting to be recognized for those things. What's especially important about it, I think, is what Jesus says, the consequence of He says, if you do that, if you're here for somebody other than God, if you do what you do for someone other than God, he says, you will have absolutely no reward from your Father in heaven. Get the audience wrong, Jesus is saying. And it's all a waste of time. Jesus is warning us that this is an either or choice. There's a phrase, it it creeps into some of our songs sometimes um, about 
worship being done for an audience of one. And there's some truth in that. Because it is an either or proposition. Perform for the one and the other leaves, Jesus is saying. Perform for men and God is absent. Jesus is going to go through in the next uh, several times we look at the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to look at this through the lens of three activities that the Jewish people did that were preeminent in their spiritual life. Giving to the poor, giving to the needy, that's one. Prayer is the second one. And fasting is the third one. And today, we'll look at kind of his introductory remark generally in verse 1. And then we'll think about the giving piece of that, giving to the needy. And then in a couple weeks, the week after Easter, Jeff Doyle is going to lead us through uh, this idea of how this applies to prayer and how it applies to fasting. But Jesus is choosing these things. They're examples. It's way bigger than this. It's not just about giving in prayer and fasting. It's not even just about uh, our private spiritual lives or spiritual practices. Um, It's about life, really. It's about why we do life and who we do it for. And so in in verse 2, he's going to hold up a prototype of how not to do this stuff. He says, when you give to the needy, this is the example he's going to focus on right now and the one we're going to talk about today, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. Now be clear here. Jesus expects his disciples, including you and me, to give to the needy, to give to the poor. The Bible is full from start to finish of exhortations like that. Deuteronomy says, If there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Proverbs, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will reward him for what he has done. So clearly, the problem here is not that they were giving to those in need. That is absolutely the expectation. That's why in the lobby, when you came in, if you noticed it, there's a big door um, taken from one of our renovation projects to make room for uh, the feed ministry that's just starting here. Um, Ben Wall is leaving us in that ministry, along with uh, the Divinis and some others who are helping us figure out how we can care for the community by uh, through a food ministry. And after services, have you noticed stuck up on the wall? There's a lot of information and noteworthy information about the shape this ministry is going to take. We're going to have the opportunity to give food away uh, to people in the community, including gardens that we're going to grow here on the property. A number of different opportunities like that are coming along that are real exciting. But imagine with me that you are a student down at the seminary. And you're thinking, oh, outstanding. 
outstanding. This is just what I've been waiting for. Because, see, I, my professor goes to North Wake. And I'm in trouble in his class. But if he sees me using my time to care for the poor, surely he will show me mercy as I have shown mercy. And he'll pass me. So I'm going to greet him after the services on my way over to the food distribution ministry, make sure he knows that's where I'm going, and that I'd really be, I would be working extra on his class, but I got to go do the thing for the poor, which is obviously more important. You know, I know these professors who go to our church. And they'll thank you for your service, and they'll encourage you in it, and then they'll flunk you right out of their class. (laughs) That's the way it works. Um, So it's a bad idea. But beyond that, way beyond that, Jesus is saying, watch why you do what you do, even and especially the good stuff you do. Like helping the poor. Acts of charity and generosity. Because if you do it with the wrong heart to be seen, Jesus is saying specifically to be seen, to impress somebody, you're going to forfeit the only thing that really matters, and that's the reward that God would give you. Now, it's, it's not entirely clear if Jesus had literal trumpets in mind when he writes these words about not sounding trumpets. Um, that was a literal trumpet right there, I think. Um, Don't pinch your children in the worship service. If you're, con- if you're convicted about what God, and you need to get up and walk out, just be a man about it and get up and walk out, okay? That's baby pinching stuff, okay? Don't use your kids for cover. Just deal with what God's saying to you, all right? I'm okay with that. You know, break down, weep, whatever you need to do, just don't, don't blame the kids. It's not a good strategy. Um... There were trumpets that were sounded at certain times, evidently, in that culture that would call the people to prayer and call them to the synagogue and to the temple and things like that. And so there were grand opportunities for people to make sure that they were seen at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Clearly what Jesus is saying here is don't toot your own horn. Don't do what you do to be seen by other people. And you know it happens still. You've seen it happen. I mean, our churches in America are full of well-dressed people wanting to be seen. And there was a significant ministry in Raleigh over the years. Uh, it was some kind of community Bible study. Renowned for men high up in the community being involved in it in order to do business networks there. Good thing. 
you know, study the Bible? Wrong motive. Want to make a business connection. You know, they, they're in the church wanting to be seen, to make a business connection, to meet up with someone, to want someone to think well of them. Why are you here this morning? I mean, honestly. Are you hoping to be seen? Why do you serve in the church? You're hoping somebody will see you? Be impressed by you? you know, we, we had a friend um, who was just this huge servant, loved to serve. Um, you could count on it, always the first one to bring a meal, always first one to visit in the hospital. But there was always something, you, you know, I could just tell something was wrong with that picture. She was always, always, it's like she always had to be the first one. And um, my shot in the dark guesses is because of this verse, that, that this was not a Godward act. It was being done to be seen so that somebody would see her and acknowledge her and encourage her and support her, affirm her. Why do you serve? I mean, when we make every six months this impassioned uh, plea to serve, especially our children, why do you serve the kids? To get the pastor off your case? To stop the emails? Please stop the emails. I'll serve. Every once in a while, somebody serves in our church in a really significant way, at least in their mind. And every once in a while, it gets overlooked. We try to appreciate our servants and encourage them. But every once in a while, people serve and nobody knows and it gets overlooked. And every once in a while, I'll hear about that. Hey, hey, I did X and nobody even thanked me. You know, I, I try to encourage as much as I can. But you need to know... When I overlook you, I have just done you a huge favor, okay? I just done you a huge favor. I just safeguarded your heart from the thing that Jesus is telling you, beware, okay? Don't do this for the pastor, especially. Don't serve to get kudos from the pastor. How pitiful is that, okay? Especially, especially because of what it costs you. Jesus says, most amazingly, that if you do this, if you, if you um, do good deeds to be seen by men, it could work. It could actually work. People are going to see you and they're going to say, man, that guy can serve. Man, she's generous. Look at all the zeros in front of that decimal point. But it's not, Jesus says that, but it's not a commendation when he says that you're going to get that reward. 
it's like a sad indictment. He says, that's all you're going to get. I mean, that's it. Uh, Terry Cole uh, is a world champion. Terry Cole is a world champion of glass eating. Um, I don't know how they, I don't know how they measure that. How you win? Maybe if you live <laughs> longer than the other contestants. I don't know what it is, but he's the world champion. And uh, one of the reporters asked him after he won the world championship what it's like to eat glass, and he he responds, "It's awful. Uh, duh, <laughs> it's really awful." He said, does it hurt? He said, not really. It doesn't cut you because you grind it very thoroughly with your teeth. As long as you grind it up long enough, you're, you're all right, he says. One reporter asked him, how does it make you feel to be world champion glass eater? He says, I am very proud of what I have achieved. I guess he's eaten more glass than anybody else and lived to tell about it. And then, and then in this little article where this comes from, it says, isn't this just like all of us? So proud of our own achievements in the eyes of others when are they, all they really are is a slow, awful grind that essentially gains us nothing. You know, I hear Terry's story and I want to say, hey Terry, wrong reward, man. <laughs> wrong deal. You really don't want to be world champion glass eater. It's not a good thing. Right? And I... I think the same thing could be said for you and me when we're trying to impress people. Wrong reward, man. It's not a good thing. It costs you way, way too much. And we live in this celebrity culture where uh, celebrities are so exalted and it's so cool to be popular and to be impressed, you know, to impress other people. I love what Walt Disney said. Walt Disney, of course, uh, is a guy who's responsible for anything Disney-ish uh, in our world. He says, as far as I can remember, being a celebrity has never helped me make a good picture or command the obedience of my daughter or impress my wife. It doesn't even seem to help keep fleas off our dog. And he says, if being a celebrity won't give you an advantage over a couple fleas, then I guess there can't be much... Uh, said for being a celebrity after all. I think, I think Jesus would agree wholeheartedly with Walt Disney. Especially when you realize that all you've accomplished really in celebrity, in impressing someone, is to make sure that you don't get what really matters. The reward of the pleasure of God on your life. Again, the message put it so well. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. You know, this trumpet blowing approach to the Christian life tends to push us towards some really serious sins. One would be the fear of man. The Bible talks about it in that language on occasion. That is, when you're more concerned about disappointing someone else than disappointing God, that's the fear of man. When you're more concerned about what your boss is going to think 
than what God's going to think. That's the fear of man. Um, and God does not approve of such things. Jeremiah chapter 1 says, uh, God is speaking, get yourself ready, God says, stand up and say to them whatever I command you, Jeremiah. Do not be terrified by them, by them. do not be afraid of them, or I will terrify you before them, God says. He does not think lightly of this thing called the fear of man. The other thing that, that this uh, performance mentality has for us, uh, it pushes us towards idolatry. That's when, when pleasing someone else matters more than pleasing God. That's kind of an idolatrous thing. And God, there's nothing good about idolatry in the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy says, Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol. A thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. You're cursed by God if you fall into idolatry. They made me jealous, God says, by what is no God, and angered me with their worthless idols. It makes God angry when we fall into idolatry. Um, Isaiah says, those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. It's not a happy picture for our lives when someone's opinion matters more to us than God's. It's a kind of idolatry. And God will have none of it. I hope you get a sense now for how the hierarchy in your heart of who you aim to please when you do what you do matters so much. Uh, in the closing verses, Jesus is kind enough to propose a remedy, kind of a way out of this quagmire in our hearts. He says, look, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So do your church stuff, do your spiritual acts in secret, do your giving in secret, Jesus proposes, um, as a way to keep from falling into this performance mentality before people. But, you know, don't let secrecy become like a new rule. That's not the point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a bunch of new rules. Um, this is not a law. Because, after all, Jesus cared for the poor publicly. Jesus prayed publicly. Um, and it would be impossible to do what the Bible asks you to do in secret. How do you do church in secret? can't. So it's not that everything you do, that every act of worship uh, needs to be done in secret. Jesus, after a new heart, a new willingness, a new focus, a new person to please with our actions. He's after a heart bent towards God and God alone. heart so humble that Jesus says your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. So humble that you don't even impress yourself, I think is the idea behind that. 
Would you give the way you give if no one knew? If you got no thanks, no acknowledgement, not even a receipt, what if they really did the flat tax? Would you still give the way you give? Would you come to corporate prayer tonight if no one noticed? Would you come to worship on a Sunday morning if nobody noticed? Save God. Now, understand that the response that Jesus' teaching is searching for is not the response that says, honey, skipping church, bad attitude. I'm just going to go to the golf course instead because I'd be a hypocrite to go to church. Jesus is not after a contented narcissism, okay? That's not the goal to just say, mm, can't help you out. My attitude would be absolutely wrong, so sorry about that. He is calling us to a new love, to a new reward. So it's not about secrecy as a new rule, but it could be a good safeguard when it comes to giving. Have you ever given money away anonymously so that nobody knows? Even the IRS. Giving it away and nothing comes back to you. No thank yous, no tax benefit, no nothing. If you gave and got no thanks, no acknowledgement, not even a tax break, would that affect you? Now again, a point of qualification uh, is important here. Um, surprising your spouse with newfound acts of wild generosity where you've given your money away so that nobody knows um, is probably not the best marital counsel that you could get. Okay. Your secrecy, might, you might want to clue your wife or husband in before you give it all away and let them share in the joy with you. Okay. Instead of you know, just letting her find it in the checkbook uh, one day. That's probably not best. But secrecy is a tool, not a rule. It's a tool that represents a heart that would forego any recognition by anybody for a greater reward. A far greater reward. He says, your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And we, I think truth be told, we run on reward. Uh, it's, it's a big, big deal to us. Uh, uh, my, one of my favorite re- illustrations of reward um, is told by a lady named uh, Barbara Lee. She's from Goldsboro. Um, she writes about her five-year-old grandnephew. He was worried as he looked down the long aisle of the church where his aunt was to be married the following day. The little guy is the ring bearer in the wedding 
His grandmother had an idea. She mentioned kind of casually to him, I think I'll give a prize to the person who does the best job tomorrow. So everybody's holding their breath the next day to see if the little guy makes it down the aisle. He goes down the aisle without a hitch. When his grandmother told him he had won the prize, he was both excited and relieved. He says, you know, I was pretty sure I had it. Until Aunt Dana came in wearing that white dress and the horn was blowing. He said, then I started thinking she might win. <laughs> well done. Really, we, we run on rewards. Uh, the Bible uh, puts it in more spiritual language. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You cannot please God unless you come to him seeking the reward of his pleasure. Believing that he keeps his promises and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What's the reward? That Jesus says, you better make sure, beware, whatever you do, that you don't forfeit this reward. You know, I, th I think just in light of what he's talking about here. He's been talking about that the approval and the pleasure of men being seen by men um, will rob you of it. I think Jesus is talking about the pleasure of God. Just the pleasure of God on your life. You know, that, that saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, sensing the pleasure of God, the experience of God himself and his being pleased with us, I think is a lot of what Jesus has in mind. This is the great preoccupation of the Bible whenever it talks about worship. Will it please God? I mean, that's all that really matters. Does it please God? You look back in uh, the book of Leviticus and there's a phrase that happens all throughout all these different offerings they're, they're doing and they're real elaborate and you got to do it just right. It's a burnt offering they say after all these elaborate instructions about how to wash it and cut it and burn it. So it's a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. That phrase is all throughout the early parts of, of the Old Testament when God's people are being taught how to worship. It's pleasing to the Lord. Do it this way. That's pleasing to to the Lord. That is and always has been the heart of worship, which is our reason to live. We say that the mission of everybody that calls North Wake home, really of every church in the world, is to become mature and ministering worshipers of God. That's why we live. We live for the pleasure of God. Um, you, you catch it in the Psalms. May the words of my mouth, this is the prayer of his heart. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. That's the big deal. Um, Psalm 104, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. The great longing, whether we know it or not, in our hearts is for the reward of the pleasure of God on our life. That when we're done with our day, or done with our task, or done with our life, that God will say, well done. 
Well done. You know, one of the spate of books that's come out about uh, the Bush family in recent years uh, following their, their presidencies, um, there's a story that's told in the early years when uh, George W. was probably a college age, and I, I think it was a summer job working on um, an oil rig. His dad wanted him to do the hard work of being in that industry at the bottom level. And he was to work there a certain span of time, and seven days before he fulfilled his commitment, he walked off the job and never returned. And his dad, uh, George Bush uh, Sr., called him in to his office, and this is what he said to him. You agreed to work a certain amount of time, and you didn't. I just want you to know that you have disappointed me. George W. later told a close friend, he said he wasn't screaming and he wasn't angry, but he was disappointed. And when you love a person and he loves you, those are the harshest words someone can utter. You know, there are, there are points in our lives sometimes, you know, when everything's going well and it's hollow or it's empty or we're still cranky and grumpy and we can't really figure out why we can't really put our finger on it why things don't feel right why we're dissatisfied or we're discontent and I want to suggest that maybe just maybe it's because we have settled for the lesser pleasure of being rewarded by men and in doing so we have forfeited the only thing that really matters, that really satisfies, that really brings lasting joy, and that's the pleasure of pleasing God. The reward of His approval. When God says, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. So we're back really where we started at this point. Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? Who are you so desperately trying to impress? Jesus warns us to beware of doing our acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because in doing so, we'll forfeit the only reward that matters. The pleasure of pleasing God. So if you'll bow with me. We'll close in prayer and then an act of worship just for God. God, we bow down before you. Nobody else is watching. Nobody else knows. Nobody else cares. But God, honestly, almost all of us have spent our week bowing down in front of somebody else. Bosses matter more. Spouses matter more. Kids matter more. Friends matter more. Sometimes strangers even matter more than you do.
and we do what we do to impress people. And we forget about you. Or we make your opinion of us really small in our lives. God, forgive us. Right now, many of us, Lord, have specific examples in mind, specific things we've done, good things, maybe, but for the wrong reasons. And I pray now you just hear our repentance, hear our apologies, hear our confession. Lord, be gracious to us. as you love to do. In your kindness, give us another shot. Where we can live out this day and our days in front of you. Doing what we do so that you'll and you'll be pleased. God, we want to start with that right now. For this song, just for you. I'm not going to sing so that the people next to us can hear or the people in front of us can hear. If you want us to come forward and bow low, I'm not going to do that so anybody can see us.